Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your life coach, your guide on the side. Doing what we can on this show to help you find the good life. Our goal, bring you the good life. One show at a time to show you how to create magic out of, you know, crazy, messed up experiences. For example, let's figure out a way to create magic out of the Super Bowl last night. Some of you have never been happier because the Seahawks rocked the world. Others, seriously disappointed because the Broncos got bucked. Bucked off the Bronco. Hmm. What do you think? Uh, we're going to go around the horn here. I, um, I was kind of disappointed on a, multiple, on a variety of levels, on multiple levels. I didn't necessarily love the halftime. Loved part of it. Uh, loved the food brought to you by my family. Didn't love the game. Seriously loved the intensity of the Seahawks, quite honestly. Like, amazing. I mean, like, near perfection, honestly. Uh, seriously disappointed in pretty much everything with the Broncos. <laughs> but that's just me. Anybody else have a feeling about the Super Bowl? It was a really disappointing Super Bowl. We went 4-0. and You guys were all saying, all four of us, or five of us, I think everyone got in. Except oh, one. Oh, except Magic. Uh, Jess, you have something to say? She's speechless. The victory has driven her to... <laughs> she, she, Jess, did you pick the Seahawks? Oh, turn your mic on, Jess. There's a thing called a microphone that we'll use on the radio. <laughs> How about now? How about now? I guess you can't talk. But so she, you won. Yep. Of all of us, she was the only one to say Seahawks. It's true. And interesting, if you remember why she chose the Seahawks. Because we chose the Broncos. Devil's advocate. Well, that's what she's saying. And uniform color. Okay, I came in just to say I won. <laughs> I'm the winner, and I was just cheering against everybody that I was with, and they thought I was a jerk, but I was like, okay, now I'm winning at the Matt Townsend well, show. Well, this so. doesn't prove that you're not You were a the jerk. devil's advocate, and so that makes you the devil. Yep. The winner, devil. Does that, I think that counts for something. Well, yeah. As long as the devil wins. Oh, good. But so it's interesting. Did you watch the game? Yeah, I was. I had my pizza, my guacamole. Did you chips. know which team you were cheering for? Yes. Well, the blue one. They the... wouldn't let me use a plate that said Broncos on it unless I submitted to them. But then after I switched. Okay, so you wanted the you uh, watch this. I'm testing. You wanted the Chargers. Seahawks. Oh, <laughs> you probably shouldn't say I'm testing her right before you say something. <laughs> you wanted the Eagles. Seahawks won the Super Bowl. The, the Denver Seahawks, yeah. right? <laughs> Seattle Seahawks. Yeah. Did you think that the quarterback, Dan Marino, did a great job? <laughs> okay, I don't know. <laughs> but I know you're probably lying right uh, now. So. Uh, yeah. It was not that. It's not Dan Marino. I was at a Super Bowl party. Black guy. Just kidding. They're all, he was hot. Most of them are black. And uh, by the way, perfect. I think near perfect. I honestly think the Seahawks played as good of a game as I think you could possibly It was a play. fantastic game. But can I just say that wow. it was like they didn't even have an opponent on the no. field with them. I was like, okay, where were the Broncos on mm, that they pass? They didn't show Because it was play. beautiful passes no. all the time. It was Interceptions. Sad. Like you, I wanted a game. Them. I wanted a game. But you can't have a game against near perfection. <laughs> perfection, no. The Broncos just sucked it up. That really was horrible. That it, The minute there was the missed snap. 
I thought to myself, yeah. that I just hope, set the tone for the whole game. Then you think, you know? I hope there's food. <laughs> I hope the food's good because I need. This is going to be a long game. I went to the doctor today, and my blood pressure is really high. Today, oh, no. I mean, it was really high to today. And he said, um, "What's I don't know." He said, "What's with your heart? What's with your blood pressure?" I'm like, "I don't know," because I've lost, like, not to brag, nine pounds. No one seems to notice. You can't tell. And, <laughs> did anybody hear that? <laughs> Do you guys hear something? I heard this voice. Was it a whisper? It was kind of like, I don't know, an announcer from a pageant. <laughs> Anywho. That was two times. Just two. <laughs> so I lost weight, and then, I, but my heart, my blood pressure's gone up. And I'm exercising every day, and he's like, what's the deal? And I, he says, have you had a lot of salt lately? And then I thought, yesterday. Super Bowl Sunday. Well, can we talk about the commercials? Well, let's do that because, by the way, disappointed. I agree with that. I feel like everything about the Super Bowl was just kind of lacking. Yeah, even the commercials weren't that great. Well, okay, I don't know if this was everywhere. I'm pretty sure it was just for Utah. But um, there was a zero fatalities. Yeah, that was Utah. Yeah, zero fatalities um, Uh, commercial commercial. of a – I feel bad saying it. On the radio. Well, I'm sorry if I it. ruin your day. What I, was it? I don't know what it the commercial like, is. What are you talking about? It was a traumatizing commercial. Yeah. It, it really was. They it, had a baby boy in a car seat that oh, had just I gotten in that. an accident. Yeah. And it was like, oh, this yeah. boy is not thinking. This boy is not going to talk to his dad yeah. again or something like that. And then it was like, his he didn't have a seatbelt on. And Four, then it was just yeah, quiet. Yeah. And yep. you're just like... If no, this no, game no. wasn't bad enough, now wasn't. I just want to like cry. <laughs> it wasn't the boy. They were saying that if you're not wearing your seatbelt, you have a 40% chance of, of injuring someone else in the car. Killing someone else They were else saying in the that, car. that his parent flew back in the car and, yeah. and hit him in his car seat. He was fine. He was buckled up. Oh, see, no, that's a downer. I was just crying. But <laughs> it's a great message again, important message, but... I was expecting more funny commercials and more. Um, yeah, I felt like they tried wow to do a lot factor. of serious. Yeah, kind of. definitely. There's wow. a lot of controversial commercials. I mean, even the Coca-Cola one, the multiracial. Yeah. Oh right. They were singing. Yeah, America lot, the Beautiful and different. And diff- yeah, and a lot of people had problems with that apparently because it's bad to sing our uh, songs about our I, nation and other oh, languages. I didn't see that. I must have been eating then. <laughs> I there I did take breaks to eat. Well, it's weird cuz like I noticed myself like like as soon as the commercials came on I was like, "Oh, oh wait, no. I I like the commercials." I was about to turn away, but then I was like, "No, I got to like rechange my thought process. These are going to be good." Yeah. It was funny. Uh you you did what, Mike? Oh, I You were in a you were in a party. Yeah, and I just I I was asking the girl next to me who she was rooting for and Cheerleader. she said, "The one with the neon shoes." She didn't even know the name of the Guilty. team. I also was like, I like their outfits. Yeah, and my brother-in-law was like, really no. cool shoes. You don't call <laughs> them outfits. Cute. They're cute. Yeah, I did say that. The neon looks good with the navy blue. Oh, their just, outfits are gorgeous. <laughs> it does oh look my, good. Yeah. That is so messed up. Okay, so Bruno Mars. He rocked it. Yeah. He did great. So, yeah, he yeah. did a great job. Red Hot Chili Peppers. Not the, so hot. Weird. Six years ago, that would have been cool. Yeah. I don't know about We now. all were scratching our heads w- yeah. with their socks. Those warm chili peppers. It was really quick, though. I mean, they were on and off the stage in yeah. like three minutes. Wah, wah, wah. Yep. Was uh, the shirtlessness necessary for Weird. That Old yeah. men, high socks. Well, it was hot. No shirt. Was it's it? weird. It was warmer than they thought it would be. So he's back there. He probably had a really big parka on. And Where were they? New Jersey? <laughs> probably. Yeah. And then he's like, I got to take this parka off. <laughs> and then he ran out there. And yeah, that was, I don't know. 
Maybe maybe it was just the whole you know we wanted we everyone here pretty much except Lucky uh, who was into designer clothes and and outfits. Jess is the only one that got it right. Yeah, that was wow. It's pretty pitiful. Yeah, well, that actually. Remember. But I think that's for everyone, right? Everyone thought it was going to be a majorly close case. What do you think about uh, Bill O'Reilly interviewing President uh, Obama? Did you see that? I didn't. None of you saw this. That's very cool, though. I there saw, was a great I saw interview a clip. That was weird too. I mean, that's kind of a weird flip. It's like I think a half hour before the game. Hmm. Oh, I did, Bill I O'Reilly totally it. takes on President Obama for a little interview. It was just that's weird context, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. we go from like, oh, I guess, huh? Okay. I'm sorry, but President Let's Obama get is popping ready up. to Super Bowl. Yeah. And then you <laughs> he's had to popping ramp it up. up everywhere in the entertainment. He's always in the entertainment, and I'm like, President, he's he's hit. go run our country. Okay, I'm getting political. Okay, don't get political. Yeah. I'm sorry, I that. went there. I'm um, I'm back. So th- this sets it all up. Are you ready? <laughs> so whatever you felt about the Olympic or not the Olympics, the um, <laughs> Super Bowl. Olympics are coming up, by the way. You guys ready for that? I'm way into the Olympics. Oh, That's okay. always oh, yeah. exciting. It's gonna be awesome. I've already I've got stories galore. We're going to share so many stories. Because as a kid, I used to pretend to be Mike Ruzioni, who's the guy that won the Miracle on Ice game-winning shot Oh yeah, in hockey. Some of you are still looking at me like, what sport is that? <laughs> was that 1980 or when it was, was 1980. it? 1980. Yeah. I was, I think, 12 years old. When I was, no, I was 10 years old. When Mike I was Ruzioni. six, it was Michelle Kwan. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Did you ever pretend to be a skater? Uh, yeah. The, it was Salt Lake Olympics, yeah. and I lived in Salt Lake. How at the old time. are you? Six. Six during the Salt seven. Lake Olympics. Wow! Holy yeah, cow! That would be right. Well, hello, little lady. <laughs> hello, little girl. Yeah, I used to. Anyway. Pre- I used to pretend that I was uh, Mister. Was it John Little? I don't know, Mister Little. I know from um, Chariots of Fire. Oh, did you really <laughs> run with his head back <laughs> and stuff? <laughs> no, that was yeah, so great. it was Michelle Kwan. Yeah, and I had a Barbie that matched because mm. I mean. It was the Olympics in the yeah, city. Totally. It was kind of cool. <laughs> and, then, and then that turned into a uh, preteen teenager crush on Apollo Anton Ono. Oh, yeah. Speed champion. skater. Mm-hmm. And he oh, yeah. lived in Utah for a while. Yeah, so. I was, I was, I was a speed skater. Did you really? ever hear of Eric Hyden? <laughs> Same Olympics, Lake Placid. Eric Hyden won five gold medals Ooh. in the long distance skate. What do they call it? Uh, anyway, where they go like 5,000 miles. But he won five <laughs> Olympic medals, and my friend and I used to play. We used to skate, pretend skate through his house. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> we had socks. We had our socks on. And, you know, so I became Eric Hyden. Now I'm just Matt Townsend. <laughs> <laughs> but I still have some seriously huge legs. I'll tell you what, though. Those, those speed skating skates really kind of – they look really sharp. Yeah, they're like weapons. It's like People you strap. Kind of like you get really a, hurt. I I know they yeah. look like. That's why I don't use them. I just use your socks. Socks. You yeah. just skate on a carpet and then <laughs> on the wood and then on the carpet. Well, actually, with linoleum back then. You could do well in the Olympics just going on socks. Oh yeah, <laughs> for sure. Human skating. Um, so here's the here's the show today. Tell me how much any of these things would matter if today. So let's say let's say you were going to perform. Let's say your favorite thing on earth was the Super Bowl, and in the middle of the Super Bowl, you got a call, and you let's say you were the number one fan for the Seahawks, and you get a call that says your mom is in the hospital in cardiac arrest. 
Okay, Mr. Zero Fatalities commercial. Why do you care? No, watch, watch. So you're the number one Nothing fan. Nothing else matters. You bought yeah. $5,000, two tickets to get to the Super Bowl. You're yeah. in the Super Bowl. You find out mom just had a heart attack. Is there any way to get her to the Super Bowl? Um, no. No. <laughs> that is rough, man. But that, but I appreciate the insight uh, or the, the effort you would have. So watch. What, what immediately happens to the Super Bowl in your mind? Zero value. It's well, out the window. Eh, gone. Well, I mean, it's still valuable, but the priority well, is now lowered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you sell the tickets, though. I mean, just like, okay, take you, my tickets. By the way, just this isn't part of the show, but do you do you stay? Uh, number one fan. You're the number one fan. You are the there number one. Let's just say you are the 12th. You're the one that won the 12th fan <laughs> you are, award. You're you the would 12th sell man. your children to go mm-hmm. to the Super Bowl. Five grand you've paid on this bad boy. Jeez. You could sell it for pretty good if it's that you close to so? the game. So... Anyway, today in the show, here's what we're talking about. Context. Sometimes we do weird things depending on what the context of what's going on while we're doing it. And then the minute the context shifts, other things might matter more. So most of our lives are really not always about what's happening today, but about the context of what's happening today. Super Bowl was super important yesterday, but a lot of people found out it wasn't that important because the context shifted. Did did you see the commercial? I don't know if you were eating, but if you Probably. did see the commercial <laughs> um, of the they they had a guy on a couch and was like, "You're watching your not your team. You're just sitting on the couch. You don't really have any ties to this game. Yeah, it's context. like watching another guy take your yeah. girl out to prom and getting some <laughs> but but kisses out of her or something. Well, Anyways, but if you like but that girl, I thought that was true. Yeah, but if you like the, the girl, context. you wouldn't you wouldn't yeah. If you don't care about the girl, you don't care who takes her to the prom. Yeah. But if you like the if the if the girl's your wife, she ought not be going to the prom with someone else. No. Okay. No. Context. And and my that's team. A great, that's a great. Are, you know, my team won because I said they were my team. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I'm that's the newest your Seahawks fan. <laughs> you think you willed them to win? Yes. When in reality, they just had a killer, near perfect game. I really think it was the Broncos' lack of a game that got it. But what do you think about argue. Sherman going out? Sherman got injured. I know. Had to go out. I, I think, I think that happened. was one of the other just um, terrible things about the game is that there were a lot of injuries, especially later yeah, on in the game. Yeah. yeah, they were playing. I mean, I've never seen such. They're playing intensity. their guts out. Like they yeah. would tackle a guy and not get off the guy. Yeah, and they would yeah. not. They just there keep, were a lot like, of. Gnaw- I saw a guy not gnawing on his arm. He was like <laughs> gnawing on the opponent's arm. They wanted that game. They got it. So funny. It was sad. They, a bunch of little gerbils. They just the Broncos got outplayed. They did. I don't know. That, yeah, I don't even know they got outplayed. I don't know that. I just think they got. They didn't play at all. They yeah. just. Well, I think, and I think honestly, what do you do? They were just a bunch of gerbils that just <laughs> nod. They, they on. fought after the plays. You know, they they the whistle would be blown and then they'd push. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> they were yeah. awake. I know they weren't asleep, but I don't know what they were doing during the plays. <laughs> um, it's a good. It's a very good point. Today we're talking context. Merritt, give us in a nutshell. What in do you mean? Nutshell. Context. What is context? Because a lot of people think, what? But Con- you change your life by your context. Definitely. So the people you hang around, the type of media that you participate in, the culture that you live in, all of that changes how you think probably a lot more than you think it does. I think you're right. So, Would you ever do what you did in high school today? Remember what I, you thought would make you popular in high school? I didn't Today you're like, to be very popular. well, but like there were certain things you knew. Well, you actually, maybe that was your context. It was my no context. need to be popular. No, it really was. I had right. a group of friends that I felt comfortable around yeah. and 
luckily that's transferred. And now, yeah. So so now though, you have a different context on life too. I mean, you can still think friends are the same. Yeah. But you know, back then, what was popular just just shooting straight were cords, OP jeans. OP was the brand. You're taking me back. Yeah. If you had OP jeans or OP cords, they had to be corduroys. Corduroys. OP meant you were cool. And an Izod shirt. That was me. I was cool. Converse sneakers too. See, back then it was more um, – you had to have the boat shoes. The yacht shoes. Yacht shoes. Uh, No, those are kind of coming back in now. Are they? Of course. Well, everything comes around. No, that's true. I did buy a pair of Converse and it wasn't because I found them particularly comfortable or even that cute. See, fads – by the way. I mean, that's what you did. Would you want want a Stradivarius – is that what it's called? Stradivarius violin? Would that be the best instrument to have? I that brand? I mean, apparently it's an important. Is it a Stradivarius? That's a that's a violin. Yeah, it's a really good one. Right? Is it? Is it better than Jimmy Jimmy Glasscock's violin? There's something about the wood. It's been waterlogged. It has a really ah, special context, sound to it. Context. You know what? If I drove over it with my car, it would make the same <laughs> crunch. Yeah, it would. Oh. But context, freak out. Yeah. What is it, $2.2 million for one of those? Probably. You but, could live in it. Yeah. You could. Context. We're talking about it. How context shapes the way you think, how it shapes your life, how it shapes what you do, and how, heaven forbid, you shift it. We're going to take a break. Today we're teaching you about uh, the situations you live in, the situations you deal with every day. You might be able to adjust them, adjust some of the strengths or the... the uh, the stress that comes from it by simply shifting a little bit of your context. We're also going to talk about groupthink. We've got to get back to that sometime today in the show. We're taking a break. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you have the uh, good life, find the good life. On the show um, today, we're talking about context. And, you know, 300 pounds, when you think about it, may seem like extreme in the United States for any person to have, right? But in Tonga, 300 pounds is a cat call waiting to happen, according to Jess. Uh, Our context changes how we see each other, and we're finding that beauty really is in the eye of the beholder. Is that true, Jessica? Yeah. Is 300 pounds in Tonga really a cat call waiting to happen? Yeah, I had a I had a friend from Tonga come here for a couple years as a LDS missionary. Yeah. And um I couldn't wrap my head around it. Male 300 or female? pounds. They wanted heavy male. So the male, male wanted a 300 pound wife. He was like he was just telling us about his culture and he's like, "Yeah, 300 pounds like or he didn't specify how much, but he was just like the bigger the better." And I was like, "Isn't that what? interesting?" Cuz in America, in our culture, it's, no, it's not kind like of like that. the small even if you have to stick tubes in to suck the fat out. Yeah. That seems better in America. Yeah. At all costs, get as, you know, small as possible. But everybody kind of, that's interesting, isn't it? So even how we what we see is beauty is totally based on context right our our culture and our context of where yeah. we live the media around us i think a lot of what's going on in america is the media mm-hmm. they because it's in our face they're saying see, wouldn't people this say this is what you want but people would say the media are they're only a reflection of the people yeah 
Is it the is egg it the, before the chicken? Yeah, or which which comes egg? first? I don't know. I don't know, but but it changes, and that's the bottom line. So um, if you want to be heavier, go to Tonga. They'll accept you and think or you're beautiful. Find there are there have to be subsets of people in the United States that are totally fine. Yeah, but they they don't care if you weigh three hundred pounds yeah. or five thousand, just as long as you're rich. <laughs> There's another it's context, true. right? I think I could or tall. I mean, height's a big thing. Mm-hmm. Or um, what you do for a living. Yeah, if you're educated, or if you're yeah. liberal, or or you know conservative. Interesting. Mm-hmm. All of those are just different. Context and it's it's interesting how we um, in within the context we get subgroups of like yeah um, so so there's a you have a political standing there's yeah. a subgroup of you know Republican yeah but there's groups of the bigger group. well then you could even have hey uh, large people for conservative purposes. <laughs> You, you just keep making groups out of groups for and... conservative purposes. <laughs> skinny people with uh, a love of uh, cats, cats and and aliens from other planets with red hair. Yeah, let's find one of those. I think we have a redhead that I works think, here. Yeah. Maybe she's well, Sky. In that that, that actually that describes Sky <laughs> Hansen. Was it Sky? Our cute little Sky boy. Every time him. I just think of him, I know he it's was sad. I wonder what he's doing today. Oh, I'm sure he's probably in a ditch. <laughs> I mean, just because what would he do without us? We kept right. him on the straight and narrow. He's probably listening. Sky, if you're out there, call in. Call in. Go to somebody tell that, us and just tell them your loss. Context. <laughs> and, ha- and give them our number, one eight five five chat byu And then we'll, uh, we'll help find you. Okay. Um, that, so context, though, about our dating life um, impacts. And by the way, it can shift, right? So if I'm married to somebody... I wonder if some of my problems in my marriage start to happen when the context starts to shift. When, mm-hmm. when I mean, I see a lot of people, they finally get a degree. They're so in love with the cute little honey that they met in high school. And she's the one that they always wanted. And um, just the perfect little cute couple. Like, let's say they met in high school like you. Jess. I know. I was like, are you trying to make this sound exactly no. like my life? <laughs> but then, but then eventually, but then we, then we moved down the road a little bit and, and the cute little relationship that was so perfect. All of a sudden we're having babies and the context of our life changes and we're no longer just us being cute. And then all of a sudden the job changes and he gets different feedback from people at work and, and you may stay home and... You take so care funny. of your kids, and your yeah. context changes. And yeah, we were just talking about this yesterday, this me and wild. Dallin, um, about his uh, his career. Yeah, because he was going to go to law school. And now he's kind of like, uh. So, so our my <sighs> whole like it's up in the air it's for huge. me. I'm like, what's going to happen with my life? What is he going to choose? Our whole context is changing, and then. We we were around little kids and I got a little bit baby hungry because they're oh, so cute. No, no, no. See, <laughs> and he's like, it's all context. He's like, remember that as yeah. soon as we get a baby, yeah. it's gonna change. Okay, it's not let, gonna be yeah. about me and you. Let for me help a good you. Two to you, three years. <laughs> you, I'm just gonna have you babysit my kids for a weekend. Wait, your kids are old now, mm-hmm. aren't they? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. The antithesis, the opposite of the big cute baby, is the smelly teenager. Oh, it's the teenager that has their years. own personality and their own identity, and they create their own context. They think they own the world. So if I if I let you just hang with them for a little bit, what? I don't know. We'll I think see. that babies would probably be harder than teenagers. Oh yeah, you would, wouldn't you? Because they're crying all the time. Mm-hmm. So teenagers, do. they don't cry; <laughs> they just whine, too. and then they make the younger ones cry. 
<laughs> it's a it's a vicious. Okay, cycle. that is pretty bad. That's what we're talking about on the show. Great intro, by the way. Um, we have a guest. We're going to take a break and come back. Our guest, Sam Summers, is going to be joining us. He's the author of the book Situations Matter: How Context Transforms Your World. We're going to get into it, give you the tools, the ideas, the solutions to create a better context, create a better life, or at least start recognizing the context that you're seeing your life through. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Everybody to the Matt Townsend show. Hey, Dr. Matt Townsend here talking to you today about uh, your context, right? The situations that you find yourself in in life and how those situations may actually transform your world. Uh, we've talked about it, you know, in a variety of different ways so far, but we thought let's bring on the expert, the man that wrote the book on it. His name is Sam Summers. He is the author of the book, Situations Matter, How Context Transforms Your World. He's an award-winning teacher and researcher of social psychology at Tufts University. His research specialties include how people think, communicate, and behave in diverse settings, as well as psychological perspectives on the U.S. legal system. He's also received multiple teachings award, teaching awards, including being selected by the Student Senate as the Professor of the Year in 2009. He writes a blog for Psychology Today called Science of Small Talk. You can find more about Sam's work at his website, samsummers.com. Summers is spelled S-O-M-M-E-R-S, samsummers.com. Sam, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Matt, thanks for having me. Good to have you. What a fun, not fun, but intriguing topic, context. Who to thunk? I think so. A little fun, too. A little fun. Interesting, it, but I think a little fun, too. Yeah. It, don't you think it really, it's, because it, we were just talking earlier, I don't know if you were able to catch it, on the idea of the Super Bowl. I mean, the Super Bowl is important, and we, we have a bunch of stuff in our heads that we think is so essential about it, but you just changed the context of that day one bit, one disaster, one accident, one person in harm, and it could change everything, can it? Uh, sure. I mean, I was just reading in a very academic uh, publication uh, earlier today, Sports Illustrated has a good uh, uh, story on the history of the halftime show and how it's evolved over the years. And, you know, you, you read about the, how different things were, obviously, 40 years ago, but right, like in the wake of, uh, of September 11th, the sort of somber yeah. listing of all the names that you too did. And so, yeah, even something as uh, sort of uh, ingrained in our national psyche as the Super Bowl takes on very different, uh, very different feel depending on the immediate context, what else is going on in the world, and that's really the story of the book is that that's so it goes for everything else in our lives. Okay, gosh, that's great because I sit there and I think if I if I can start paying more attention to the context, I might actually change some of my feelings. Is that possible? Yeah, and that's the argument of the book is that we don't do that very often. Yeah, we, we're not good at that. Yeah, we sort of lose the you know we lose sight of of these different environments and, and their power on us. Cause, you know, most of us spend most of our days in pretty familiar routines. Yeah. We drive between our house and the office, and in the office or at the and you know we only see people in certain contexts. You see the the barista at Starbucks, and you see your professor in the classroom or your physician at the office, and you see that person somewhere else, and and. It, it, it's sometimes jarring, and so we, we do lose sight of the oh. ways in which our environments affect us. So is that – okay, so you in the book, 
really, go look at the book, folks. Go to samsummers.com. He also has an outline so you can kind of see it in depth. But honestly, go buy the deal. Um, in the book, though, kind of walk us through it, because one of the things that you, you get into is the fact that we, we base our assumptions knowingly, I guess, or unknowingly in, this, in the context we are in, right? Yeah, I think that's a fair way to put it. I mean, you think about we take for granted the environments in which we find ourselves. And so it, it takes something like, you know, you go abroad for a little bit and you come back home and all of a sudden the unwritten rules of, of daily life in America or the neighborhood where you grow up are more obvious to you because you've been, you know, somewhere Away. else. Uh, and, and, you know, I think the, I always use the example of the very first time I went back home when I was in college and I went back to my parents' home and I was a visitor instead of someone who lived there. Yeah. You walk in and all of a sudden you're like, you know, this house has a smell, it has sounds, yeah. it, has, it has a feel in the way that all your friends' families' houses always did. Yeah. Yours never did because you were there and you never noticed it. Isn't that interesting? I, I lived abroad for two years and it's so true. You come back and even like I lived in Argentina, the homes were smaller, people could have dirt on their as their floor. And yeah. then you come back to your carpeted living room and you're thinking, wow, this is excessive. Yeah, and the, and, and the personal distance and touching when you meet a stranger. Uh-huh. I mean, all, all the little tiny things in your day-to-day social interactions that you don't really pay attention to. And, and so the point of the book or the argument in the book is that if we do step back and, and learn to pay more attention to those things, we, well, we don't always become better people. That might be nice and that could right. be a good effectiveness, but you become more effective at understanding and predicting how everyone around you is going to act. Oh, interesting. So you could actually start... If, by understanding the context, you know the rules better, so you could actually just play the game more intelligently. Bingo! Right. I mean, you know, you know who understands this stuff perfectly are is the really effective salesperson. Totally, and right? that's it. I was thinking all the marketers know what you yeah want. marketing, advertising, your salespeople. I mean, the little tiny things that are fascinating when you learn about them, like the idea that you know when your waiter, your waitress gives you candy with your bill, the mm-hmm. little mincer. Yeah, you know, it seems like an empty gesture. Who cares? Tips go up. Like, it's just absurdly, absurdly, tips go up because you feel, even without knowing it, a little bit of reciprocity. Like, they did you, they did you a little bit of a favor, even though it was candy you didn't yeah. ask for it. The tips go up. I wonder if so, it goes up if you give more than just one mint for everyone. It's, exactly, or who knows, <laughs> if you get the smiley face with the bubbly eyes, yes. the thanks, Kelly, or whatever, does it yeah. go even higher? Uh, and so these little things about... You know, every gym I've ever tried to, to join, it's amazing. It's always been, hey, we have a limited time offer. Yeah. It ends today, and you're the last one who can get it, <laughs> right? And, and that kind of stuff, even sometimes we're aware of it, and we react against it. We don't let it affect us. But, yeah, salespeople, marketers, they've got this stuff down pat if they do a good job. Isn't it? Is it – I guess we just get too caught up in the thick of the thin things that we're not um, – I mean, we're not we're, – we're too into this process that I guess we don't – we take it more, I guess, on an on an interpersonal level than a, a bigger contextual level. Is that is that just natural human behavior, or why well, aren't we picking of, this up better? There's some of that. There's also some of, I just think, how complicated and confusing and ambiguous and unpredictable the world around us is. And we just frankly don't have the time or the mental energy to think through every last decision we make and every last impression we form at such an involved level. So we have to take shortcuts. We have to rely on past experience to make sense of new environments. And so one of the things we use to impose some sense of order and predictability into the chaotic world is this you know, belief that, well, the people around me are predictable. The behaviors I see them demonstrate reflect 
some stable internal personality that I can count on always being there every time I interact with this person. So it's predictability. And then I guess I guess we get mad or we think the people that aren't as predictable in that context, we just see them as strange outliers. Like that guy's a freak because he does not do what you're supposed to do when you're yeah, like he talks about things in public you don't talk about. Well, it's certainly noticeable, right, when people violate a norm, when people, I mean, there are entire television shows, many of which I watched every episode of, from, yeah. you know, yeah. Seinfeld and Kerber Enthusiasm and whatever else that are just shows about violating norms like that. And, and yeah, we, we like to be able to, it's, it's threatening to us to, and, and to our existential self to, to not be able to predict what's going on around us, because we often can't. And so right. we, try to, we try to impose order on the world. Something bad happened to someone else. Well, if we can chalk it up to the fact that maybe they did something a little immoral, also that makes us feel a little bit better and, and so on and so forth. Oh, that's interesting, which is maybe why, you know, if you're doing something immoral, it's better to hang out with people that are immoral. Oh, or, well, I mean, why do certain stories capture our attention in the news? It's the, the things that are unpredictable, the things that sort of shake our sense of safety and predictability, that, that, that draws a lot more attention than even terribly sad things that maybe we've grown a little bit numb to, like the, the death of our service men and women when they're abroad, and that's right. terrible as that is, but we sort of get numb to those statistics, and that's really unfortunate, and people try to counteract that, but those kinds of tendencies are certainly there. Um, you named the first chapter of your book uh, W-Y-S-I-W-Y-G. Yeah. Okay, explain that. It's cryptic, but it, it actually means something. All right, well, it's, a, it's an acronym. I, I stole it. I borrowed it from the... The world of, of, of computer programmers and web design and so forth, uh, WYSIWYG, this idea that what you see is, is what you get. And I'm using it to refer to the way we see other people around us. And that example I just gave, you know, you, you're driving in traffic and someone cuts you off, they're a jerk, they're a yeah. bad driver. Or your coworker hasn't gotten back to you about something and you're working on a deadline, she's lazy or she's inconsiderate or she's self. And even the positive thing, someone in your life is, you know, does something nice for you, well, he's a generous individual. We tend to think of each other in terms of what you see is what you get. The behavior that you see reflects some um, stable internal personality. And that, that, again, is reassuring to us. And that's yeah. really what that first chapter of the book is about. So it's about, we really want to believe it's all highly predictable or, and stable. And even if it's not, we, still, we will still see it that way. Yeah, we often do. I mean, just, again, go back. Driving driving's full of good <laughs> psychology, right? <laughs> yeah, You're right. Driving in your car and someone cuts you off or uh, you know, whatever's going on. And you or you're merging, but this person goes all the way up to the end before merging. And, and you don't like that person. And you chalk it up to sort of a <laughs> criminally negligent or, or inconsiderate personality. And, and that might be true. But, right. you know, there's certainly when we do it, well, I'm in a big rush. I got an important meeting I've got to get to. I got my three-year-old in the back seat. She doesn't have a diaper on. If we don't get to a bathroom... You know, it's going to be a nightmare. And, and when it's us, we're very, we're much more generous with ourselves. Right. Oh, yeah. People will think about the extenuating circumstances, and, and we don't often do that for other people, especially strangers. And that leads to this idea again, this uh, assumption that, you know, what you see is what you get, and that's all there is to this person. I mean, this is, re- this is the real deal, isn't it? This is how we drive. This is how yeah. we talk and how we relate. This is how we seek after a job. This is how we handle a firing. I mean, it's everything we do in life. That's, that's, yeah, there's your pitch for the book, right? I mean, yeah. it's, it's about every aspect of life. There's a chapter in there about, you know, being in a group and being in a crowd, and, and that's relevant to being at work and organizations. But there's a chapter in there about how we feel about ourselves. There's a chapter in there about, I know you were just talking about it before the break, like dating and yeah. falling in love. And so it, from the professional to the, the personal, from the 
really serious to the much more day-to-day and, and mundane and lighthearted. That's, that's really the full range of the human experience the book covers. Are we able as humans, and then we'll take a break after this, are we able as humans to actually evaluate our own context and our own thinking? Because it seems like the only thing you could really fully evaluate it with is your own context and your own thinking. Yeah, we do. Again, we're a little bit more sensitive to the ways in which our environment shape us when it's us. I mean, you know, we're right. a little bit more generous with ourselves and a little bit more aware of these factors. And, you know, for better or for worse, you know yourself. You're stuck with yourself. So, you know, I, I'm a college professor. I know that I spend time in the office, but I spend time with my kids and I spend time coaching Little League and time at the gym not doing things that well and so forth. But my right. students see me, you know, three hours a week in the classroom if they go out in public. and That's you know, my professor. Yeah. They say, is it strange to you when you run into your students at a restaurant or a bar? I'm like, no, I, I know I continue to exist outside of that world. You, you don't. But <laughs> you didn't know. You thought I just shut down and pulled the batteries out. That I'm lecturing all the time. Exactly. I mean, when you run into your your physician, your doctor, and, and you, know, you see her out in public and she's struggling to parallel park or read a map. or do, That's disconcerting. You're like, wait, you're this intelligent doctor. And now I see, you know, we're all strengths and weaknesses and we're aware of them for ourselves. We only get to see glimpses of many of the other people in our lives. That's huge. Awesome stuff. We're going to take a break. We're right now talking with Sam Summers, author of the book, Situations Matter, How Context Transforms Your World. We're going to come back. I want to find out about how, you know, the people we hang out with impact our con- our, uh, our context and also, you know, how you change kind of some of this group thing stuff that goes on. We're going to take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, today on the show, we're talking about uh, context of your life and how your context uh, may actually transform what you do, how you think, how you go about living, how you go about acting. And uh, it's, it's actually a fascinating thing. I mean, a lot of times we can blame everyone in the world for what's going on in our lives, um, but one thing we don't sometimes look at is actually how we see situations, how we go about the, you know, processing the general other things that are going on in any situation. Um, a lot of times you'll hear stories of somebody that's injured or hurt or has collapsed in the subway. And, you know, somebody that's lying um, unconscious in the subway, uh, all of a sudden you just step over, you walk by <laughs> Ah, there's always people unconscious in the subway. Just keep moving. But the very context is, and it may be that, you know, because nobody else sees, nobody else is acting, maybe that's just normal. Maybe, I guess we just ignore that person because nobody else seems to be doing anything. So is it possible that in our crowds and in our, you know, when you're with a group of people, if we all keep this exact same context, we might treat people differently? do things to others that, that, you know, we might not be proud of if we actually thought about them in a different way. Our guest today is Sam Summers. He's the author of the book, Situations Matter, How Context Transforms Your World. Uh, he's a, an award-winning teacher at, uh, of uh, social psychology and research at Tufts University. He's also a blogger for Psychology Today, um, and you can go to his, his blog there, look it up, called Science of Small Talk. SamSummers.com is his website. Sam, welcome back to the show. 
Thanks. Thanks for having me. It really is fascinating. Is does I so context in the in, how would you just define it? How do you define context? And um, and again, just maybe refresh for us. What's the big deal? Sure. So I mean, what I'm talking about in the book is it's really about the power of ordinary situations to shape human nature, to change how you think, what you do, uh, who you really are. And, and, and so what I mean by context here is really literally your immediate environment. So who you're with, what's going on in your world, where you physically are, and again, you know, who are, with whom. And so these kinds of immediate factors that seem maybe mundane or trivial, um, those are things that have tr- dramatic effects on us. You, I mean, you talked about just there in the intro about the whole idea of an emergency or being in a, in a public place and someone might or might not need assistance. That's a huge one, just the presence of a crowd, being in a crowd. We are dramatically different individuals when we're on our own than we are when we find ourselves in a group of people. It's interesting. I guess because there's like the contagion effect. Is that part of this too where one person gets excited or one person starts, you know, a fight, everyone else gets involved. Is it, I guess we're fighting and we're protecting our, the context of our brotherhood or whatever. Is, is it, is it contagious? Yeah. So it goes, it, it works both ways like that. So in the book, I have this interview with this, uh, this really interesting, uh, guy named, named Cameron Hughes and Cameron is a professional sports fan. Okay, so not something that I think a career that a lot of us. Have He's a professional. Done. He gets paid he to gets be a sports paid. fan. He has done. He has been paid by dozens of NBA and NHL teams. In fact, you know, last four years ago at the Winter Olympics in Vancouver, I'm not sure if he's doing it again this year. He he was paid by uh, the the ice hockey crowd to to go to those. Uh, events and what he does is he works the crowd. He has this whole routine <laughs> of, of of dancing and throwing T-shirts around. It. He's like a one-man cheerleader. Uh, applause sign. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And okay. This, and he looks like you know he's an ordinary-looking guy. Yeah. He's, you know, six-three by his definition, by his uh, description, a little bit awkward. Not the greatest dancer, this redheaded <laughs> Canadian guy. And he and he just goes and he gets these crowds into a frenzy. In fact, he keeps going to the U.S. Open tennis in New York and getting the you know. <laughs> then talk to Nadal and, and, and Jokovic and guys like that and, and get them to dance with them. He's, that's his thing. He's a crowd whisperer. So okay. He's he, a crowd whisperer. Cool. One guy doing this yeah. in the crowd, the whole group goes up into a frenzy, and then it works the other way, too, like you're talking about with the, the whole sort of apathy in crowds. The, the inaction, the inactivity that can happen if no one else is taking action. Right. I mean, the, the example I, I often in my classes and in the book give the example you gave of, you know, you read the story about a, a tourist who's in New York City and passes out on the subway and he's unconscious or even dies and rides around for hours and no one does anything. And that happens, you know, what do we all say? Yeah. You say, what's wrong with those people? Yeah, those people are messed um, up. People on that subway, maybe people in New York or people in cities, period, if we don't live in a city. And, and I'm not saying that they should be let off the hook, but what I'm suggesting is a lot of us would behave that way in that scenario, right? Oh, and sure. You step on the subway car, you look around, you see a guy passed out and you turn side to side, no one else is doing anything. Maybe you figure... They know something I don't know. Maybe he does this every day. Yeah. He's just taking a nap. Or, um, or like you said, you're in a hurry, you're on your way, and you figure, well, someone else can take care oh, of this. Sure. I, I'm not the one who's going to do this. And Again, not saying those are appealing tendencies of our human nature, but just like we often sit there in a movie theater and watch an out-of-focus film because we assume someone else will take care of it, same kind of thing happens in emergencies, too. And it's, again, that power of a crowd can be, it can be really strong, even pushing us towards not acting when uh, sure. if we were on our own, we would. Well, and imagine just the the conflict that a human being has when they see somebody that their heart might be saying, I really ought to go do something. And then they look around for contextual validation 
right. and they don't get it. But I mean, I guess what you're really saying is pay attention. There's more levels to this than just what's going in your head or what, you know, should happen. I mean, there's there's context. Yeah, I mean, how many times have we heard, you know, late night you know, noises outside? They could easily be people who just had a little bit too much to drink or having too much fun. But we don't know. I mean, it could it be people having a fight? And we just sort of go back to sleep and don't yeah. inquire. And I'm not suggesting we all you know, strap on the Batman mask and go out and do something. <laughs> I'll but find the way. Sometimes it's, well, sometimes it's as easy as just cracking the window and yelling, is everybody okay? Or making a phone call and calling hmm. the police. And we often assume someone else is going to, take care of that or just that it must not be an emergency no one else is alarmed and we actually yeah we can uh become much more engaged members of our communities and more conscientious citizens by trying to break through that that pressure to, to not do something powerful when you think i mean engagement which again one of the things that's huge right now in corporate america is the simple concept that he, the employees are becoming less and less engaged roughly they say, I guess, 70% of employees aren't engaged in their job. Their heads, yeah. their minds, their hearts aren't in that. But I guess contextually they sit there. Yeah. And and they even in context get paid. They even in context still produce work. They even might even share with each other what they're not doing. Um, and I guess it's all it's all just okay. Yeah. And I mean, the subway example applies perfectly to what happens in companies, right? It does, you, doesn't it? You get there, you show up, you figure, well... These people have been here for a couple of years, longer than I have. If there were a better way to do this, they would have already done it. There must be – we do it this way for a reason, and you blindly go along. It's a big mm-hmm. obstacle to innovation. That's powerful. Like you, you call that group apathy when we don't step up as a group in, because of the context. What do you call it if we overreact as a group? Group chaos. Well, group. I mean you hear stories about you know whether you want to call it conformity or you, you talked about it as sort of contagion. I mean there are certainly plenty of examples. Some of them – like perfectly pleasant, like sure. people doing the wave at a, right. at a sporty event. I mean, I, myself, I'm not a big fan because it seems yeah. – it's been there, done that. It but seems no contrived fun. to me. Yes, but no harm, no foul. But it's, right. it's at some level the slippery slope of the same phenomenon that leads to <laughs> yeah. you know, group initiations and, and, and atrocities during wartime and otherwise and people going along with things that they maybe know better right. uh, and wouldn't do on their own. And so – uh, again, it's it's a pretty powerful influence on both the good and the bad aspects of our human nature, this context. It, um, this idea, too, I mean, it seems kind of like the root of, I mean, you can be in church and as a group, you know, judge together. <laughs> and or uh, you can be, you can, I mean, group, there's got to be group conformity to whatever organizations you belong to. That also seems to be like in certain organizations, this is where, or even just life, this is where racism can breed. Yeah. And I mean, it really it's it's an essential it's what do you call that? I mean, that like so context is kind of a meta level. I don't know what you call it, like a, a not meta, but a bigger level yeah. of, of view. And then I guess there's personal, there's interpersonal, there's meta it might be more internal. Right. Yeah, well, you, you're right. I mean, it, I, the, the last two chapters of this book, one one's called love and one's called hate. So even for these, the most intimate of our tendencies and, and feelings, you know, falling in love with someone, disliking someone, being prejudiced against someone, that, that's really context-dependent stuff as well. Hmm. Like, you know, who you wind up with at what times, who you're next to. On the account you talked about, sort of prejudice and disliking other groups, it's just really, really easy to get people to slip into the us-versus-them mentality. And uh, so, again, even for these most 
intimate level of, of instinctual feelings that we like to think come from somewhere really deep within us. And they're shaped a lot by, by who we're with and what's going on Absolutely. around us at any point in time. Do you sense, uh, and we'll get into this in the next block, but do you sense that you can um, look at your context and find a healthier context? So if you don't like the kind of behavior that seems like what you're being compelled to do, can you reevaluate context and find a better, deeper, healthier context? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the first step here is just understanding that it's so influential, right? And when you do, you, you can't help but see things differently. You can't help but, but change things around. I mean, even if we just take something as basic as uh, we're a month into the new year now. Yeah. We have all these people whose new year resolutions have probably come and gone, right? Right. Uh, the gym is much less crowded this week than it was <laughs> right. the first week of January. But they have more right? specials, I hear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and there's a limited time. And it's exactly right. Time. Only you today. Only you and the you know so there's so there's simple things you can do like like changing the the literally changing the shape the size of the plates that you eat on and oh, and, yeah. and and you know driving different routes so you don't pass by yeah. certain temptations there are these little tweaks to our routine and to our environment that can make a huge have a huge impact yeah. on on you know our willpower our lives it's it can really be a uh, a, a way to design and engineer changes in your life if that's something that you're looking to do. It's powerful. Talking with Sam Summers, author of the book, Situations Matter, How Context Transforms Your World. Again, go check out his website, samsummers.com, S-O-M-M-E-R-S.com. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about how how we might go about changing our context and uh, get some more ideas, suggestions from him. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're talking about context and uh, how you use it and and understand it to create different behavior, different feelings in your life. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your life coach. Doing what we can on this show, folks, to give you a good life, the best life possible. And today we're figuring out maybe the best way to do that is to change your context. You know, maybe if you feel down and out, you might be able to look at why. I mean, I have people all the time that sit there. They They really have a great life. They have a nice home children that are healthy, loving, strong, all of these things, but they have this thought, maybe it's context, that they need to be perfect, or they need to be better, or they need to be, there's always, there needs to be more, more, there's always about more, and so we, we get caught up in this chasing more, getting more, being more, doing more. And maybe the very context you live in, I even feel that way. If you live in a, an affluent community, all of a sudden you might feel even more pressure to keep up. My kids will come home and say, why don't we have a boat? And I just want to kick them in the throat and say, well, A, because uh, I wouldn't know what to do with a boat. So I don't know how to fix a boat. I don't have the money for the boat. I don't want to buy the skis you need with the boat. And I have lots of friends with boats, so let's just use theirs. It's context. But how come How come we don't have this? It's context. You know what I mean? It's context. 
That's why we decided to have on our great guest today. Sam Summers is joining us. He is the author of um, the book Situations Matter, How Context Transforms Your World, award-winning teacher and researcher of social psychology at Tufts University. He's also uh, has research specialties that include how people think, communicate, and behave in diverse settings, as well as psychological perspectives on the U.S. legal system. He is a blogger for Psychology Today and writes the blog Science of Small Talk, which is um, one of the ways I think we found him. Sam Summers is his name. Go to his website, S-A-M-S-O-M-M-E-R-S.com, where you can also check out his book and and get everything else he's doing. He's a busy man. Appreciate you being on the show, Sam. Sure. It's good to be here, Matt. Great, great insight. Tell us, um, when we think about this, we were talking earlier kind of about the— the group mentality of this, by the way, is like, you know, if you live in a neighborhood, uh, an affluent neighborhood, I'm assuming that's going to create context. Sure. The, I mean, the, the immediate environments in which we grow up have a uh, dramatic impact on us. So absolutely. Yeah. See, that's why um, I keep trying to teach my kids. They, they think they need to be really good athletes. And I keep trying because all their friends are good athletes. So I'm like, you guys need new friends. <laughs> you need friends with half the skill set. Yeah, social comparison, that, that's how See? we define ourselves. I mean, we, we think of sort of the self-esteem or self-concept, however you want to call it, yeah. coming from this sort of core place within us. We have to pull back the curtain and identify. And, uh, you know, our core self changes a lot depending on how old we are and, and who we're with when you ask us and, right. and, and who you're around. You know, that's one of the ways we don't like to admit it, but one of the ways we define ourselves is by comparing ourselves to those people in our immediate environment. Mm. Is, okay, so give us the, you know, people are going to want to know, and you're, going to, you're an academic, so we know what you'll say. So is it good or bad? <laughs> you know what I'm going to say. You know what I'm going to say? That's a little bit of both. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Darn it! Right, but, well, so, you know, he, it's, it's good to be aware of it because it allows us, like you said, to, to change some things. Right. right? I mean, so one of the, people often ask me, you know, what are the lessons from your book? And one of the, so one of the ones I like to give, I mean, you just talked about your kids. I mean, I'm, I'm a parent. I have two daughters at home. And, you know, one of the easiest things for us to do as parents uh, is to praise our kids. In fact, you could argue in this country, in this culture, we do a little bit too <laughs> yeah. much of it, right? right? Everyone gets a trophy. Everyone is, is fantastic and special and so forth. And it turns out, so forget about whether we do it too much. We do it wrong. We don't do it right usually. You know, your, your kid brings home a, a drawing from school and the usual response is, oh, that's great. You're such a great artist. You're or, amazing. Uh, right. Yeah. And, and the way we talk about it, you're a great artist. Or they bring home a test score. Oh, you're so smart. That's praising people for personality or disposition or something stable. Right. You're so smart, right? So what happens when your kid comes home, whether it's junior high, whether it's high school, it's earlier, it's later, because eventually we all run into that wall and it's hard and we struggle in a way we haven't before maybe. For some of us it comes a lot sooner, but what happens then when they come home, they're struggling in pre-calc or whatever it is. They're not smart anymore because right. they didn't get the good grades. And so when you praise people based on their personality and a stable characteristic, it, it sets them up for failure. It sets them up to react poorly to the failure they'll inevitably have. Huh. Instead, yeah. you pray, praise them on effort. Praise them on perseverance. I, mean, I love the way you, you stuck with it, even though you couldn't figure out how to solve that problem at first. <laughs> I, I love the way you guys you know, kept playing, even though it was clear the other soccer team was bigger than you were and you weren't going to win that game. You, you battled. That's kind of more character-based stuff instead of just the outcome-based. Pra- praise people for the process. Praise them for that's the great. effort. That's, that's, what, that's, that's what they learn now. Because, you know, it's amazing, this whole self-esteem movement we have in this country to raise everyone's self-esteem. High self-esteem people don't always have great outcomes in life. Yeah. In fact, 
they don't persevere. When they run into problems, they give up because it's otherwise it's a threat to that high self-esteem. And so you don't want to raise people to have high self-esteem. You want to raise people to sort of get their self-esteem from the right place. Mm-hmm. And outcome matters. I'm not saying yeah, sure. you don't give a prize to the winner or grades to the ones who do the best, but, but target, targeting our praise and our reinforcement in the right way is something that uh, we don't often do on our own. It seems what could be wrong with saying to your kid, oh, you're such a terrific athlete, you're such a terrific artist, you got to think about what that means in the long term, and are you setting them up for future success that way? Well, and maybe I guess as a parent, we can we can sculpt. It seems like it seems like the marketers do it to us as you know as the buying public. Maybe parents could sculpt the culture to say, "Look, we're we're a family that doesn't give up. We we don't give up. We don't give up. We we may not be perfect. We may not be great. Everything may not be you know idyllic, but we don't give up. We'll continually try." Can you sculpt the culture? that would then create the context? You, you can certainly try. And it's not always going to work, but I think it's worth, it's worth a shot. And I, I think mean, we yeah. can in many ways. And of course, I mean, our, our kids grow up and they become their own people and they do their own things. But, and sometimes they decide, yeah, that thing that mom used to always do, that dad used to always say, yeah, I'm doing the opposite with my kids. And that's, that's fine. Right. But we, we, yeah, we can. We can change. We can have an impact in that we do regardless, for better and for worse. And so we can try to do it in the right way. What are some more tools you suggest you know, for, to help us better see, to help us better catch and understand the context that might be driving us? Force yourself on a regular basis to adopt someone else's perspective. I don't just mean give it a quick second thought as to how someone else is feeling or where they're coming from. I mean, if you're, I'm a college professor, so you're a teacher, mm-hmm. force yourself to sit in somebody else's class and someone else's lecture a couple of times. You're a doctor or, you know, yeah. my, my, my father-in-law is a physician and he says that he always tells graduating med school students, one of the best things that can happen to you is to get sick. Totally. That's seriously sick. But yeah. just so you get the experience of, 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 of calling up for an appointment and going on hold and dealing with the insurance company and sitting in the waiting room because we don't, we lose sight of those things. And I go see someone else give a class, teach a class. Immediately I'm like, you know what? That's great. I should do that. And also that's not good. I'm glad I don't do that. or I need to not do that myself. And we don't do that enough. If, if the customer service rep had to sit on hold for a while, once in a while, yeah. everyone's life would wind up being better. It's so true. So kind of put yourself in a situation and, I mean, and, and I guess relax your paradigm. You yeah. Know, and, relax and, your way of thinking. Yeah. You know, you get yourself to the point where you feel like, I'm pretty good at what I do. I don't, yeah. I don't need to sit on someone else's lecture. I, I don't need to listen to anyone else do a yeah. radio interview. I, <laughs> I don't need to see at someone else's bedside manner. But, yeah, that, that, you do because you lose sight. And things pass you by and things change. And you lose sight of all that if you're not forcing yourself, literally forcing yourself to adopt that other perspective from the person across the table from you. I love that. And I, mean, I don't love doing that. That's a hard thing to do because it's, it's your identity, isn't it? You, you almost it's don't your, want that data. It's threatening. Hey, who likes seeing themselves on videotape? Right. Oh, please. Who likes hearing their own voice? Yeah, I, no, I don't. I don't either. I, don't. I would never listen to my show. Seriously. Yeah. I can't <laughs> well, even stand this guy. I just had a TA, had to tape something from class, and I was looking at it. I was like, wait, is that what I look like? Why doesn't no one tell me that? Yeah. Uh, that's what I sound like? I mean, and so it's, <laughs> it is. It's threatening. But again... You want to feel good about yourself, then do the social comparison we were talking about. Compare yourself to the kids who are less athletic or doing less well. You know, hmm. look down the road to see, well, at least I got better score than that guy. But you actually want to get better, you got to do the upward comparison. You know, you, you look at how people do things well, and you set a standard for yourself to try to aspire toward. What do we do if we're in a group and we're seeing a little bit of the group think, the group apathy or group aggression, group contagion going on, and we, we want to fight against it? And I think if you've got yourself a committee, a board, 
a uh, uh, you know board of directors or, or you know group of advisors, whatever it is. If you don't have disagreement going on, you might as well not even have it. Right. Uh, you know, you always hear the story like the you know Lincoln team of rivals cabinet. Uh-huh. That might be exaggerated or apocryphal or uh, at some extent, but yeah, that's what that's what you need. You need you need to maybe you have to take the people you already have and say to them, okay. I want in the next 10 minutes to come up with the absolute best arguments you can come up with for why we shouldn't be doing the thing that we all just agreed we should be doing. That's great. Because it feels good to get along with each other, right? It's bonding, yeah. and, and we like that. And we, we like groups more when we all agree, even though the groups are more effective and productive for us when we don't. Uh-huh. Totally. It's, uh, sometimes you have to force the issue. Oh, you do. And, and again, there, there may be also kind of a context that, oh, you're the CEO or you're the president, you know. I'm not going to say it because you're the president, but yeah. when you leave the room, so maybe leave the room to also and get them to then talk. Yeah. Well, I mean, think how much people love that. What is that undercover boss show? Right? Yeah, exactly. Where you actually bring the guy down and he's working behind the counter at the frozen yogurt shop. I mean, there's something cathartic about watching that. And, and there's, again, it's reality TV. So it's, for all we know, all made up and scripted. And exactly. Added, but they always seem to enjoy it too, right? I mean, it actually is something you never do, but it, it, it certainly makes you a better boss. Uh, it's it, it's this openness to feedback and um, willingness to change. I, I guess it's uh, we fear failure. I, we fear the change. We fear the shame. I guess of of um, being real. Yeah, yeah. It's threatening to, to to not know if you can do something. You know, to try. You see, with your kids, they don't always want to try something they're not going to be good at, and, mm-hmm. and they learn that often from us. Well, where do you see it as a dad? Where else? Talk more about just parenting with context and at least like how has it changed you as the you know the theorist studying it and trying to figure it out how does it change how you parent how does it change your conversations with your kids well i mean i talked a little bit about the whole praise question so that's certainly right i have a whole chapter in the book about about sex differences about you know men and women boys and girls and i mean at one level the 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 moral of this book is my book is that we all have assumptions about human nature and how people, what makes people tick, but sometimes they're wrong. Yeah. Fact, often they're wrong. And, and here's one of them, right? I mean, we, we have these really pretty firm beliefs about the differences between little boys and little girls. And even if we don't subscribe to those out loud, we, we, we certainly take those in more unconsciously through the marketing and the toys and the movies. And, and so there's a whole section of the book about just how surprisingly context-dependent a lot of these sex differences really turn out to be that you, know, you, you see a difference between you know, men and women, uh, different spatial skills or aggression, whatever the research tells you, and we jump to these conclusions about biological differences, their right. brains are wired differently through evolution, and there are obviously bio- there are biological differences between men and women. I don't yeah. think I'm breaking any news, but right. I'm aware there of it. you have it. Um, you know, I had kids successfully, so I understand that, but, <laughs> but that's not the explanation for, for every difference that we seem to see in behavior or social tendency. Yeah. And, so as a dad of two daughters, as a guy who grew up with all brothers in a pretty male-dominated house, I'm pretty sensitive to that these days in terms of what the movies they watch are telling them and the toys people give them when they're born, those messages, and trying to say, yeah, you know what, honey, you're right. Here at Toys R Us or whatever we are, it is silly that, that they say boys' bikes and girls' bikes. You want the blue one? Let's get it. It's not going right. to make you sterile or somehow yeah. Yeah. You know, cause a problem for you yeah. genetically. Well, if you, you, you don't ever want to have bike. kids again, let's just drive the boo bike. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's so, this idea like oh if a fast heavens. food restaurant doesn't know your kid's sex, they can't give you the right toys because it might yeah. somehow do irreparable damage to them. It's crazy. Do you have a boy or a girl? Isn't yeah, it for, for your biggie, for your uh, combo meal or whatever? I mean, it's you look at it and you think 
it's almost just like the quick out. And I guess we like it because it's safer and predictable. But imagine what we're missing just because we've dichotomized it or, you know, we've put it in this nice little binary code, one choice or another. Yeah, I mean, everyone's kids are different, right? right. I mean, my kids are very different. Oh, but totally. They're, they're both girls, so I don't do this jump to conclusion of, well, you know how boys are. They're different, and yeah. kids are different. And so when you have boys and girls involved, it's easy to say, well, you know, boys will be boys. That's yeah. what they do. They, don't, they just can't sit still. They can't. I'm like, well, there's biological stuff going on, but, you know, if totally. you believe they can't sit still, they're not going to sit still. Well, yeah, and we know boys don't have emotions or biology. Exactly. Yeah, they're yeah, fine. And, and, Exactly. Until they're teenagers. I mean, yeah. it's, it's interesting. Then the context changes again. Hey, as we're wrapping this up, Sam, give us your one thing. I call it the one thing. What's the one thing that you think makes the biggest difference when it comes to understanding context and its impact on us? What's the one thing we should be learning and watching out for? I think the one thing we should be doing is, is you know, t- taking three seconds. Like, it's so easy when the airline loses your bags, you get and you wait for an hour in the line. You get to the front to fly off the handle to blame the person at the desk, and it never actually leads to a good outcome, anyway, right. right? So, to take three seconds to not jump to conclusions about everyone around us based on those emotions, those hot-blooded responses we have, you know what we're pretty smart. Uh, we humans are. It's what separates us from a lot of the other non-human animals out there. And, and if we take a second to try to sort through what's going on uh, and what the real parameters of this context are. Not only are we sometimes better people, but again, we're more effective people. And that's, you know, the book starts with a story about me and, again, one of these lost luggage or it's an airline delay thing and a customer service. Even that, even navigating the customer service, you know, labyrinth that we all hate, we do it better when we take a second and figure out exactly what's going on around us. Yeah, it's probably, it's, uh, you don't want to just chase, you know, you might all end up off the cliff. Yeah, exactly. I was always so slow that at any customer service thing, I, I either was always at the end of the line or I was behind the guy that just ticked somebody off so badly that if I just acted normal, they'd love me and give me whatever yeah. I want. No kidding. Con- exactly. Yeah, it's context. Yeah. Good stuff, Sam. Good, appreciate you uh, being on the show. Again, go check out. I guess the book's available everywhere. You can get it everywhere, Amazon, wherever, and like you said, you know, www.samsummers.com will get you a little excerpt, all the details, little video clips, everything you could want. Good work, my friend. Thanks for being here. Thanks You're, for having me, Matt. That was a great insight. Sam Summers, check it out, samsummers.com, and go see, go check out the book, Situations Matter, How Context Transforms Your World. We're going to take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show, uh, changing the context a little bit. When we come back, sticking with it a bit, going a little different direction. We'll be right back right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, today we're uh, we're giving you another angle on life. Again, the goal of the show is to help you create the good life. Who better to create the good life than our own Michael Pond, the Pondificator? Right here on BYU Radio, and yeah, get excited. This is going to be an interesting. Topic. You have been doing some serious research on a little bit about uh, what Sam was talking about with. Um, you know, group apathy or group, right. you know, contagion theory. The bystander effect. The bystander effect. So if you're sitting there and you see an accident or whatever, explain. Most of the time when, when there is someone in need uh, in a group setting, 
most people just walk by. And we see this over and over yeah. again. And we think, oh, you know, if, if you know, someone's, you know, hurt or, or needs help, you know, I'd help them out. But studies show most of the time we don't. We don't help out. No. And there's a bunch of famous examples. Let's of hear that one. I, I like fame. Yeah. Well, we, you, were, you mentioned earlier about, we were talking about this yeah. b- before the show, Emcene Green. In, at King County Hospital. She was a 49-year-old woman. In yeah. June 2008, uh, she collapsed in the waiting room of King's County Hospital Center in Brooklyn after waiting about 23 hours for, for treatment. And she was ignored by other people present in the, the hospital room and to security guards that were there. And People uh, were walking by. Yeah. She was sick, 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 eventually passed out. I remember, I think she slid to the floor. Right, they have it on twenty three hours later. I mean, she and she died somewhere in the middle of all of that. Yeah, so you know, she was helped after an hour of laying on the floor. Yeah, but uh, people were stepping over her. They were walking around her. Their go- security guards were just standing right there, and uh, she she was helped after an hour, but she later died. Yeah. Um, and that's so ironic. She's in the ER waiting room, yeah. you know? That's such a weird place to die. Oh, yeah. She's she's literally feet away from help. But she, but what's and, her number? I mean, that's what we think is everyone's got a number. Yeah. I'm not – but you you could be hearing death sounds and we're still not, I guess, responding because of the psychology of it all. What's and another one? Another one in, in 2010, April, Hugo Alfredo t- Tail. Yaks. This was in the news uh, pretty – it was covered pretty extensively. But he was stabbed to death in New York City. He was uh, – he came to the aid of a woman who was being mugged and uh, he kind of fought off her attacker and he was stabbed. And then he fell to the sidewalk and he was on the sidewalk for almost two hours. And they have security camp footage of this. Um, And they – about 20, 28 people walked by. And he was laying down, dying on the side qua- sidewalk in Queens. And, and people stopped, would stare. They'd step over him. Someone even stopped and took pictures of him. Hmm. But no one called Help. the the. Okay, so why? Yeah. What is the – okay, what's the actual – because it seems like and, – and we got into this with Sam. Um, we're all afraid. Like, yeah. I mean, somebody's got to be afraid or are we just all so calloused and – not caring. Well, it's a combination of those two things. You talked about individual rationalizations, but what happens in a group setting is that there's these these um, unspoken rules that yeah. are created. That's what he would have called the context. But there's exactly the, the rules of the game are like okay, nobody do anything that everyone else isn't doing. Right. Exactly. You don't want to. You don't want to stand. Don't stand out. out. Yeah. But there's this other rule. You know, you should help somebody that's hurt. So let's say somebody is passed out in the manner, in the middle of a of a city. Well, let's use a real life example. This actually happened to me. So, and this will this will segue well into the next point. Yeah. So I was in a grocery store, and uh, I was in the produce section. So it's open. There's lots of space. Yeah. That's there's a lot of people there. And uh, the, I don't know if it was a boyfriend or girlfriend, what their relation was, but this guy was. Totally verbally abusing this girl. Yeah. And if you've listened to the morning show, I've told this story before. But he was totally, you know, just being really rude and just kind of. Yeah. And I was looking around and I was really disturbed by some of the things that he was saying to her. And and nobody else was doing anything. And uh, it took me a, a moment, but I kind of gained up the courage to walk over and kind of. Were you bigger than this guy? No. No. This guy is like 28 big. tattoos. Like yeah. I, you know. So you could have died. Probably, 
Yeah. Well, I could have fought him off for a few seconds, but then, you know, I probably would die. <laughs> anyway, uh, but I, I say, hey, bro, yeah. chill out, man. Yeah. This is not the place for that. And then as soon as I did that, I had like four people come up and back me up. Yeah. What, what was the point? See, we like, needed the team, though. It was the team. Yeah. Because well, ha- we're afraid. Yeah. Well, and, and also, um, why didn't anybody do anything until I, I did something? Yeah. So what happens to break this bystander effect, there's a, something really important that needs to happen. Someone needs to, to do something. Mm-hmm. We have this diffusion of responsibility. Everybody's walking uh, around. I don't want to do it. We're all kind of waiting yeah. for somebody to do it, and then we'll jump in. Yeah, because that the rule is changing. The set of rules is changing. Now it, you stand out by not helping. Yeah. You well, see? This happened to me the other day. I was talking to somebody after a speech I had done. You know, there's rules. I'm conversing with this person. But the lady behind started – she passed out. So she starts falling. And I, ha- I literally kind of dove between two ladies reaching for this other lady. Broke all the rules. But I remember it all was going on in my head. And I saw her going – and my head's like, well, you ought to do something about that. <laughs> yeah. And um, but then I had this weird thing like, yeah, but I'm talking to these people. So it, that's kind of like the two rules are going on at one time. Yeah. But that was all that all happened instantaneously. It's... Imagine a fight going down with this couple for, you know, five minutes. Yeah, I was probably it wasn't that long. It was maybe like three yeah. or four minutes. But it's so hard to break that. But you broke first. It. Well, yeah, but I mean, in another situation, these situations are really uncommon. They're unusual. They're rare. Yeah, we're not used to that. But whenever we move ab- uh, among different social groups, we have these uh, temporary group rules that are set up with strangers. So you're saying, in the end, take some responsibility. Yeah, and get the courage to do something different. Exactly. And then I guess just find the most palatable way to say it or do it. Exactly, and, it, and, that's and, all, and even if no one else supports you, that's all I take. Well, people will they, support they you. May, or you know, some may just still not want to get involved. You know, there's some cities that they just don't want to get involved. Well, most even people, if someone's... like in in the studies that have been conducted, yeah. if one person steps up, they all step up and help. Really, yeah. So you're challenging us to be a voice of courage. Stand up. Do something. Go to the produce section and be a man. Exactly. Man up. Pondification. That was good. Wow. I felt the energy. You done pondificated. <laughs> Again, great job. Mike Pond. Pondification. That's just a big word. We need to we need to find another one. Pondificator. Magic Mike. Magic Mike. <laughs> and his wonderful view. Great lesson, Mike. Thank you. We're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, we're bringing on Julie Nelson will be joining us. She is also known as the Child Whisperer, the Bomb Mom. She's helping us out, giving us some tools, you know, to understand context better. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in life right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. everybody to the Matt Townsend show. Hey, that laser shot right there means the mom whisperer is here. Actually, the child whisperer here. Bomb mom, we call her. Julie Nelson is joining us, author of Parenting with Spiritual Power. She's got a master's degree in marriage and family and human development. She teaches classes 
as uh, in applied parenting. Is that right? Yeah, it's the family studies program at UVU, Utah Valley University. Mm-hmm. She's the bomb mom, mm-hmm. and <laughs> you got to go check out her website. She has a new website, uh, a spoonful of It's an old website with a new name. Because your old website, I used to just tease, blow up, used to and tease so me about. It, hurt, yeah. it probably it hurt my feelings, and so I went and changed it. <laughs> your husband probably said, "You need to listen more to Matt." <laughs> He always says that. He's such a nice guy. Hey, you brought us some food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Because I'm not only the the mom bomb, but I'm yeah. the cook bomb. You're the cook bomb mom. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're the, and you're the only one whose food that we would trust to eat. Thank you. Some, we get food, but sometimes you don't trust. Yeah. You don't dare. You know, okay. Go there. Hey, um, it seems like, so you've heard what we've talked about all day mm-hmm. with context. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Here's the deal. Um, you may have noticed this as a parent. Uh, sometimes we might make decisions for our kids, but then eventually we have to teach them to make decisions on their own, mm-hmm. right? What? How do we do that? Because my kids don't seem to know how to do that. <laughs> and I think it's because I'm sure it's my wife. <laughs> Because I make all my kids' decisions. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, yeah. so what do we do? How do you how do we teach good decision making? How do we make just yeah. any human being? It doesn't have to be just our children. Yeah. Well, I'm here kind of to take the parenting perspective from the guest that you had before, and I'm thinking about context. And no matter who we are in life, we all have context, right? Like yeah. you said, and it makes us blind to not see certain right. things. And when you're a child, you look at something and you say this is the way it is and you're stupid mom or dad and I'm right. Right. And then you look at them and what do you say? Well, you're stupid and I'm right. And right. <laughs> and it's just, uh, yeah. It, so yeah. the context yeah. is somebody has to be right. Yeah. And so why does one person have to be right? The thing we should teach is, is to see the the overlays of context yeah. that none of us are seeing. Yes. Yeah. Because what I call them, I call them filters. Yeah. So it's, and you know that yeah. filters and communication, yeah. parent, you know, marriage, marriage is the same thing. Right. You, you come in with filters. Filters are, you know, how you're feeling at the time, your emotion, um, your past experiences, your present experience. Are you having a bad day? Yeah. If you, have you had something bad in your life? in your uh, past, that will color or filter the way you see a situation. Everything. Okay? So and it, it could changes be, the context. And right? it, So it's past, present, future. It could be today, yeah. your mood. Mm-hmm. It could be what happened this morning. I mean, you can have one bad ticket, a speeding ticket in the morning mm-hmm. affect your entire day. Right. Filter everything. My attitude. And so I'm going to lay in on my kids when I come home, and I'm going to see everything that's wrong with them. Yeah. Or the house is going to be messy, and and I I can't tolerate that because I've had all these, and so my context is completely changed from bringing what just happened to me okay. with, with the speeding yeah. ticket. So, so what I want to talk today about, Matt, is just one specific thing that really um, I think might help our listeners, and that is in just problem solving. Okay, let's just take one issue: problem solving with our kids. It can happen. You know, it could be anybody. It could be yeah. a coworker, your spouse. But let's just talk about it with parenting right now and how context and filters really do limit us, or if we free ourselves from those and bring in this overlay of seeing it from lots of perspectives. Yeah. it can really help in not just I'm right and you're wrong right. all the time. Because that, I guess, a mom and a dad or a mom and a child, you could stay stuck in a fight. Mm-hmm. Of a context. That's mm-hmm. context. Mm-hmm. And as long as the context doesn't change, this problem will never go away. Just keeps passing. And, and you'll just dig in your heels yeah. 
more and you'll be more and more right in your mind. That's good, yeah. And so, and they've even seen this. They've done um, studies with people who've witnessed a crime. They think in the context of what they see, they get a little bit of clues. And the more they think about it, the more they become right. And I am absolutely right, yeah. even though that wasn't correct. Yeah, because they, they keep telling their story, their story over and over, over until so gets, they believe yeah. it. Right. Okay. So that's the way we are with problem okay. solving. Until we believe it, that we are right no matter what. Yeah. And that really is counterproductive. And so, yeah, these filters do matter. The context matters. It makes us blind to situations, mm-hmm. blind to see what is our best resources in solving a problem. Okay. Now our best resources in solving a problem is to take off our filters and see it from other people's points yeah. of view. I go gather more data. Yeah. And well, we be- think we got all the data. Yeah. And the data comes from other people, Yeah, the, the, the resources we have in front of us. Yeah. So instead of fighting against my child or my spouse or my coworker, it's working with them and using their context and my context, and then we can work towards a solution. So the way I envision this, because I'm visual, mm-hmm. normally we fight, we're at odds with each other. I face you, you face me, we're contending, we're against each other. You're, you're kind of saying take the contention out instead of facing and making it about each of us. Mm-hmm. And me only seeing half of the deal and you only, only seeing half of the story. You're saying side by side this is how visually I see it. And we just throw the stories down on the table, yours and mine. We kind of mix them together, maybe gather other people's data if we need to. But it's not about, it's not about a contention between us. Let's just go figure it out. Let's get yeah, like you said. I love what you said. Let's gather more information and let's put it all out on the table. I love that. So that's what we have to. That's the approach we have to come to with problem solving. So we are giving voice and perspective to all the people involved, and we see more options. And therefore, we can actually get it. Um, like you said, how do I get my kids to take responsibility? That's how we do it because they are part of the, the problem solving. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're not you're not trying to convince them. Mm-hmm. See, so many of the times we're like we're trying to change them. Mm-hmm. And the minute the minute I'm in that position, they're not going to have it. Yeah. So it's no longer about a discussion or an understanding dialogue. It's contention. And what we do is we create individuals who then can go forward in life as they become older and see things from other people's points mm-hmm. of view. And they can actually perhaps see new solutions as they step outside of themselves. And now what great people would be in a workplace that could do that? Right. I mean, you want people in your workplace that yeah. can see someone else's point of view, who can look outside of their narrow world and go, oh, yeah, but what about this? And they can recruit and they can be a mediator and they can be a team. Yeah. That's the people we want to raise. It seems like instead, I, I would rather, even if you're, I'm not looking for the truth in what you're saying. If If I sense... We are in contention. I'm going to sink your idea. Mm -hmm. So I'm always looking for the holes or I'm going to make holes or I'm going to just – so you're saying create a neutral space where I can hear what you're saying. You can hear where I'm saying. And then – so how do you do that? How do you remove the emotion of the competition? Because right. it seems like that's what it is. We get in this conflict where we're competing on it. Mm-hmm. How do we do that? Yeah. I mean, one way you tried to do it earlier was bringing us some cheesy roles. Yeah. So bring cheesy roles to any problem solving. And, and it worked. Yeah. Because I don't know what – I haven't even tasted one yet, but I think I will give you whatever you want. <laughs> I don't even care if I'm right. The, the, what I like to say to my, my parents and my students is to say the point of life and of relationship is do you want to be right yeah. Or do you want to be happy? Yeah. 
Do you want to have peace in your life? So you got to come uh, to problem-solving situations, not with, um, I don't want to be right. And this is especially with marriages. Yeah, oh, my yeah. gosh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's, you're, you're never you, what's your goal? Right. Your goal is yeah. to, to have peace and happiness and to work together, not to be right. Because, you know, if it's all about mm-hmm. being right, it's always going to be a competition. And, and it, uh, so when some people say that, that you think, oh, well, then, oh, then just be walked on. No, you're not saying that. You're saying no. we want to get better. And mm-hmm. you, if you have to be right, then... We may not be going for better. We're going to be right. Yeah, I don't, and I won't, don't want our listeners exactly to think, oh, then just acquiesce every time. Yeah, okay, then no. you can have your way, Yeah, honey. whatever. I have whatever. no standards. Yeah, yeah, no. No, it is that we are, e- we are equals, yeah. and we're moving forward as equals, not I have to be superior to you all the time. That's right. And yeah. I wouldn't want to be married to someone that loses every fight. Yeah. So the first, po- the first step in this problem-solving scenario is first, then, is to define the problem because I have a filter on what I perceive the problem to sure. be, and it could be co- totally different yeah. from your filter. And oh, yeah. I have to see the context. So, for instance, you've you got to change that context and that perception and lay it on the table and see it from their point of view. Um, you could be moving. If you want to problem solve from your point of view, then you might be moving in the wrong direction because right. you're trying to solve a problem that's not the way They're they see it. No, and which is no wonder why it never gets solved. Yeah. So you're saying instead. So to begin, we both have a problem here. Let's let's delineate what the problem is. What do you see mm-hmm. is the issue we want to solve, and let them explain that. Right. So I could say, for example, um, let's say I have a child that we're going to have a camping trip this weekend, and my child says, "No, I'm not going." My filter, my context would oh, be: I only going. see, I only see it from the, their point of view, and I'm like, oh, that child—he always tries to ruin my fun, yeah. trying to use yeah. ruin spoiled. my fun, rebellious, spoiled, yeah. lazy. Yeah. And so I'm thinking the problem is I have a rebellious child that hate that d- likes to ruin my fun, right. and I try to solve the problem. By then, what would I do? Fight him. Fight oh, him. You're going. Of course, you're going. Yeah, because you're not going to ruin yeah. my fun, and you're rebellious. So I'm going to, I'm going you're to going punish to, you. Yeah, by, I have to because yeah. I don't want to punish you. But if I let this go bad, then you'll be destroyed forever. Yeah. So shut your mouth. Mama's going to crush you. Right. And I'm going to bring you camping and make you have the worst time of your life to punish <laughs> you for make, being so rebellious. So that's my problem solving yeah. filter. Yeah. That's my context. Now, if I sit down with my child and say, then define the problem for me for, for the way you see it. Now I'm bringing in his context. Yeah. And then he says, you know, I hate going camping every time we go out on the boat and we water ski or we go fishing and I hate the water. Yeah. I hate. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I never saw it. So it's not even about camping. No, you drag me out on the lake every time. Yeah. So we now see, like you said, you put it on the table, and I'm like, aha. Yeah. Now I see. So that dissension that you're seeing is really a sign that we need to understand someone. Mm -hmm. There's more data that we're missing. You could try. I mean, you, you're in the position of power. You can crush them. You can take everything away. You can ruin their life. But in the end, even if you got them there, mm-hmm. and then you said, okay, we're going boating. <laughs> you're going to fight them all the way on the boat. You're going to fight them yeah. all through the boat. You're going to fight them the rest of the trip. Yeah. And so few parents get down to the, to the to the point where they really want to listen and hear what their child has yeah. to say. And now some parents out there will be like, hey, I tried. They never they never told me. It's because they don't trust you yet right. with what they really are feeling or their fears or what they don't like because you're just going to crush them again. Yeah. Well, what, what are you a wuss? What? We love boating. What's come wrong? On. Yeah, come on. We're it's hunters a, and yeah. gatherers. <laughs> Fishermen. <laughs> so they have to first be able to trust you. Now you have to establish a pattern of trust before they're really going to share what's it's deep cool. down. So if it doesn't work the first time, it's because that you haven't established a relationship of trust yeah. yet with what they really are feeling. 
healing. Yeah. And so l- try other things and step back and go, oh. Well, here's a question because I hear this every day. Well, that's great. Great and all, Julie. That's so great. Blah, blah. <laughs> butterflies, unicorns. But what about when are they going to grow up? When are they going to understand your needs? What about your needs? Just hypothetically. Yeah, right. Have you ever heard that? <laughs> Um, I would really hope that parents out there understand that life is about compromise and about seeing things from other people's point of view and not always getting your way every yeah. time. And children are the same way. They can't have it their way every time, and I can't have it. So the, po- the point is, is how can we then reach some kind of a win-win? That's great. You, can't, you have to give up things along the way, don't you, Matt? Oh, yeah. Every day. Yeah. See, the crazy thing is, is we want our kids to understand that it's a win-win. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times when we talk to them about going on the trip, mm-hmm. it's not win-win. Right. You're going. You're going and you're going to do what I say and we're going to go fishing. And, yeah. we're going and you're to, not ruining And you're going to gut the fish out right. and then we're going to fry it the next yeah. day for breakfast. Man up. <laughs> That's so, great. so here we are. We find out what the de- define the problems. But again, listeners, if your child's reluctant, it means because they have not trusted you yeah, in the past. Yeah, and they you've got to work need to on dig that. Deeper to get you've got to work on that and not be reactive yeah. and control freak when they tell you some things in the in the past. So, yeah. Now, step two, once you can help and they can trust you with what their problem is, then you've got to, of course, generate some possible solutions. So yeah. you're going to say, okay, let's see what would work for you. Now, I say work for you instead of saying, okay, here, oh, I see the problem is this, then this is what we should do. Yeah. And then you jump in and you come up with your ideas of what you think should happen right. to solve the problem. I say parents be quiet at this point. Just listen and let your child. Now, hear then that they're going to take ownership yeah. of what's going to happen, camping or whatever the problem is. Yeah. And once they feel power, you are almost there. I mean, because yeah, you're really saying, so what it sounds like you're saying is you want to go camping and the boats really frustrate you. We're always out on the mm-hmm. boats. You're mm-hmm. not really wanting to go mm-hmm. be boating mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. And yet mom really wants you to go. My side of this is I really want you there. Mm-hmm. The family wants you there. It's important that you're there. And mm-hmm. yet you don't want to be trapped on the water. Mm-hmm. Then you're saying... So how are you mm-hmm. going to handle that? Or how, how, how do you want to handle that? What would be some ideas that would make this a, a camping trip that you would love? That's great. Yep. What would make this be a trip that you would want to go on? Tell me. You, you, you define. You, and you want them talking here yeah. because this, this is what. You create the. This the is ex- their solution, yeah. not you handing them And the at solution. that point, you hand it over to them. That's and great. then that's when you really get. Because they're going to say a lot of stuff that you're going to be like, yeah, well, I like that too. Well, yeah, yeah I like that too. Yeah. I never thought of that. What if we leave you on the shore? What if we just let you. What if we go, or those that want to go, go? Mm-hmm. And what if we just leave you alone? And maybe if a bear eats you <laughs> and mauls you and rips your innards out? What if? I mean, okay, whatever. See, that's just. See, you can see the mom no, just manipulating. Yeah, yeah. You really have I mean, to if let you go. Die. You have to let go at this point yeah. and let the child. This is where you're creating the mature adult out of the child because then they learn. Okay, they're going to say some wacky stuff too, like, "Well, then what if I just like you know go hang out with the uh, yeah. the neighbors and you go camping?" Um, right. Well, you know that's an idea. Let's keep going, mm-hmm. and then you just there's you another sh- idea. You don't shoot down things. You could write them on a list. That's you could great. whatever, but just let them talk. This is how you share context. There's, there's another idea. That's another idea, I would say. There's another idea. Yep. But I don't go dumb, there's wrong, There's a dumb idea. Wrong. There's one more. There's yeah. one more? Uh-huh. That's an interesting idea. Let's try to use our brain and find another one. <laughs> 
No. Okay, see, I always no. I always jump back to the bad one. Don't. I don't know why. No undercutting at this point. What, just once we brainstormed, what do we do? Just just generate generate these solutions. Let them feel empowered. Don't shoot it down. Let them feel safe with sharing their ideas. Okay. Yep. Um, if they say, now I've had this also happen where a child will be like, oh, I don't know, well, I don't know. Then that's an, a child that is enab- enabled. Yeah. You, you've solved all their problems. So then you say, well, then let's take a break and come back tomorrow, tonight, and think about it, and then come back. And I want yeah. you to come up with at least one idea. Because I have to create a child who's a thinking child, yeah, not good. one who relies on don't me to solve all their problems for them. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now number that's three, good. evaluate all these solutions. Now, you, this can happen at a later time or at the t- very time that you're doing step two. Okay? Go through them. Make a list. This mm-hmm. one works. This one doesn't. This one doesn't work for me. You know, don't say that's a bad idea. Just yeah. say that doesn't work for me, you know, because, I, I, you know, whatever yeah. it might be. Um, you can't stay home unsupervised overnight, so I can't leave you at home. But that was an interesting idea. Yeah. Maybe later when you're older. Yeah, when you're older. Um, so, you know, things will rise to the surface as you do step two. You'll hear some things and be like, oh, yeah, I, that could work. And then go through the list and then say, let's narrow it down. Okay. So under step three, you might say, oh, let's compromise something that works for both of you. Maybe it's going to be that they had an activity that they thought would be funner than fishing. Like, well, I've always wanted to ride horses. And you shoot always guns. say, yeah, or shoot yeah. guns. I want to go target shooting. Okay. Well, that works. That's great. Yeah. Let's put that down. Let's do it. Yeah. You don't have to fish. Yeah. You, know, you don't even eat the fish. You don't yeah. like fish. You know, let's let's bring some guns up and go talk. Let's let's get a horse and go trail riding That's for good. a change. See, the context changes. Yeah. Like like your guest said before, you're always driving the same route to, yeah. to work. That's great. This, you're getting off the path and you're doing something completely different. You might find the family loves to do. Yeah. Yeah. So not then always what? fishing. Then you just decide. And then you implement the decision. Try it out. See how it works. And then step five would be later on you evaluate. How well did that work? Because there's some things that's not just a one-time event. Like, for instance, I always talk about pre- practicing the piano. Uh, a child is resistant yeah. on practicing piano, and then you generate some ideas, and then they say, well, yeah. let's do it this way. And you say, let's try that out. And then after a week or two, you say, well, are they, are they still practicing, or are they still yeah. you know, letting it go and saying, you know, I, I want to... Well, look how that changes the context, because now you're saying, hey, mom and dad are open, mm-hmm. and... You can remember that next time and say, hey, next time I'm planning the trip, mm-hmm. instead of getting contentious child coming, let's go make sure we're involving people, mm-hmm. change the context. Trips are for everyone, not just for the water, you know. Yeah. And like the piano playing thing, that it's really important that you evaluate because it's often overlooked that you don't take responsibility to come back and say – you know, I'm, you're going to have accountability. Are, did you practice these last two weeks under this new yeah. system that we decided? Yeah. If not, it's just going to fall apart again. You've got to hold them accountable. Say, okay, we're going to meet again after a week, two weeks, 30 days, so, see and see works. if this is working. If it's not, then you've got to redefine it again. You've got to hold them accountable. Julie. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Child whisperer. Okay. We're going to take a break. That is good stuff. That's how you change context, folks. Yes. You reframe the approach. It's called understanding. And you create new contexts. Well done. That's why you're the bomb mom (laughs) and the child whisperer. We're going to take a break. We're coming back. Uh, Again, go check out Julie Nelson's new old website, aspoonfulofparenting.com. A spoonful of parenting helps the medicine go down.com. Spoonfulofparenting.com. We'll be right back. We're playing a game called Catchphrase. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody. That's the hoedown music. 
meaning it's time to party. Our party planners here, Jessica Littlefield. How are I'm you, Jessica? Here Jess? to play. So you got a Good. game for us, right? What's just the game? Playing catchphrase. It's just like you've played it in your living room before. Never played it, but let's play it. You haven't played nope, it. You but have. I'll make it up as I go. Thirty seconds, and you're gonna try and explain a word as fast as okay. possible. When you're done, the other team is gonna jump in on the mics as soon as possible, and whoever and they're gonna explain lands their word. in front of the mic when the buzzer goes off, the other team gets a point. Oh jeez. Okay. You don't want to be in front of the mic when the buzzer goes off. That's okay. That's all it takes. And okay. you're going to explain the word without using actions, only words. Okay, but nobody's going to know the word but me, right? Only so you. I just pull out a word? Yes. Okay, ready? Are you ready? Go. Okay. Uh, this is the place where children go to learn. School? Yes. Okay, now other team, jump on. Okay. Let's go, Merritt. Come Hi. on. We got this. Okay, this is dynamite is adjective. An explosive? Yep, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> This is what you sit on on the back of a horse to ride it. Saddle. Yeah. Okay, come on, Eric. Quick, come on. <laughs> I'm so scared. Okay, this is a small young human. A child. Yes. <laughs> oh. Um, small young human. Oh, it just buzzed. Oh, yeah. you guys get the point. I mean, they get the point. You don't get a point. <laughs> yes. Now, this is a small young human. <laughs> Please. That is what Merritt said. True. Okay. You guys start in front of the mics. The best part of this is we were just having a conversation about kids and how they make me slightly uncomfortable. So. Human. Okay, ready? Wait, Merritt, you're on the mic. Ready, okay. set, go. Okay, people ride this. It's not an elephant. It's It lives in America. A horse? Put, yes. <laughs> Subway. Okay, a uh, frozen square of water. Ice cube. Okay. Um, we work at these. You do Job. work on... Yeah, but what are you at? Computer. Well, what's the computer on? Keyboard. Monitor. What, what, what? <laughs> Desk. <laughs> yes. Oh, Living. Oh, oh. <laughs> This is, this is, okay. It's all about strategy. It's stalling. Okay. It's stalling. Okay, we got to stall next time so they can. Here's the deal. Do we have one more round? Can we get we one more round? 30 seconds. Yeah. Okay, go. This is the place where you make dinner. Kitchen. Yes. All right, these fall from the sky. You can make a wish on them. Stars. Okay, but Fallen other stars. names for that? No. Meteor. Yeah, me- meteor. Okay. Good. Um, this is what comes out the back of a horse, and it falls on the ground. Some people call it patties. Hmm. Sometimes huh. people step in them. Is it dung? Yes. No, cow dung? Horse dung? <laughs> oh, get is it dung? the mic, Matt. You are out of control. All right, you water your yard with this? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Okay, that was a I good strategy, it. but This is a great game. Over. Now that I know how to play and... it. That's perfect. And By the way, I knew Mike the answer so to that in her first, <laughs> but I stalled. You're a cheater, no, but you no. still lost. This, it's called catchphrase. <laughs> we lost two to one. That's a hard game, though. I mean, it's just, it's that beeping. As somebody that's been in an intensive care unit, that beeping <laughs> makes me very have uncomfortable. It, and I said, we have to have that noise because that's what We need the you intensive out. care unit noise. <laughs> Hey, thanks for joining us, folks. There you go. Context. It's all in context. Even our little game. 
Again, we appreciate you joining us. We're here to help you uh, find the good life. Be back tomorrow with more tools, more ideas, a leg up on this crazy thing called life. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio.